Hebrews, I'm on now. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be at. Somebody, and I don't remember who, gave me this little thing. So I have a reading tonight, okay? It says, that could certainly explain it. Now, this is tongue-in-cheek. On the first day, God created the dog and said, sit all day barking by the door uh, of your house and bark at anyone who comes by it or walks past. Now, I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, that's too long to be barking. Give me 10 years, and I'll give you back the other 10 years. God said, okay. The second day, God created the monkey. I'm looking to see any monkeys. He said, entertain people, do monkey tricks, make them laugh, and I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey said, monkey tricks for 20 years, I'd rather not. The God gave you 10 back, so that's what I'll do too, okay? God said, okay. So y'all are up on what we've had, the dog and the monkey. On the third day, God created the cow and said, you must go in the field with the farmer all day long, suffer under the sun, have calves, give milk, support the farmer. I'll give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, that's kind of a rough life. You want me to live for 60 years. Let me have 20, and I'll give you back the other 40. Once again, God agreed. On the fourth day, God created man and said, eat, sleep, play, marry, enjoy your life. I'll give you 20 years. Man said, what, only 20? Tell you what, I'll take my 20, the 40 the cow gave back, the 10 the monkey gave back, and the 10 the dog gave back. The dog gave back. That makes 80, okay? God said, you've got a deal. What's the point of the story? That explains why the first 20 years of our life, we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. The next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. The next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain our grandchildren. And get this, the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everyone. (laughs) I don't remember who gave me that, but I thought, that's me. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, some of our favorite verses, and it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted yet to bloodshed, striving against sin. Let's pray. Father, we come to your house, and we're glad that we can sing your praises. We can gather together. Uh, We can laugh a little bit. But most of all, we can just have your presence with us as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray by your spirit that you make your word come alive, that it will go out powerfully and accomplish what you want it to accomplish. And, Father, we won't be forgetful hearers but faithful doers of your word. And to that end, Lord, we ask that any decisions that need to be made will be made for your honor and for your glory. For it's in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen. One of my favorite quotes in all of life is from Helen Keller. And she said this about living life. She said, life is either a daring experience or it is nothing at all. It's either daring experience or nothing at all. Now, realize this is from the woman who lost her eyesight and lost her hearing at 19 months of age. 
This is from the woman who, who had to learn how to speak properly, who learned how, how uh, to, 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 to hear uh, through her fingers as you would sign to her. And that's the way she had to live her life. And, and yet she's the one that said, look, either you live life with a daring experience or you're not living at all. I think uh, the Bible illustrates how we ought to live also. 1 Corinthians 9.24 tells us, run purposely to get the prize. Okay, Galatians 2.2 and Philippians 2.16 say that we should take care that we do not run the race in vain. And finally, 2 Timothy 4.7 should probably be our motto. And it says this, that we can say at the end of life, just as Paul said, that we have fought the good fight, we had finished the course, we have run the race. Hebrews, this passage tells us how to do that. Really, what he's saying is, focusing on Jesus enables us to persevere in life. Focusing on Jesus enables us to persevere in life. So here's what he says specifically. First of all, in verse 1, we have to run the race that God has given us. Notice what it says. Run the race that God has given us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What he's saying is, is basically this. You see, the race is the life God gives us. Okay, And so to run that race, we have to run with the assurance, point A. We have to run with the assurance that others have found victory. You see, we seem to think that the suffering that we encounter in life, the bad things that go on, that they're unique to us or unique to uh, where we're living, but we need to understand that others have had the same kinds of suffering and they have found victory. That's why he calls them a great cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? They're the heroes of faith that he just talked about in chapter 11. They're those heroes of the faith that sort of influenced us and helped us along our spiritual journey. They're the ones who who invested in our lives and we saw them persevere. We saw them win the victory by focusing on Jesus. He said, you have to run the race that God has given you. And you run it with the knowledge that others that others have found the victory, okay? And we need to understand that, that we, we face it, we struggle, the hardships, the heartaches. Their testimony was this, God is still good, God is still faithful, and His Word is still true. And so He says, run that race that He gave you, knowing that others have found victory. Point B is this, run without the baggage that hinders us from doing our best, Run without the baggage that hinders us from doing our best. That's why he said very specifically in there, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Nothing, hear that, nothing is to hinder the purpose of God in our lives. He gave us a race. He gave us a course. He gave us jobs to do. He says nothing is to keep you from doing your best, from being determined to win. Throw off everything that hinders Originally, that word meant the bulk of the body. In other words, you come in all muscled up, or if you're like me, you got good table muscles. Some of you act like you don't have that. Okay. And he says you throw off that weight. In other words, a runner would slender down, do whatever it took, you know, watch his diet, run, do all those 
disgusting things that Clint Peverell does. That you're supposed to do to win the race. And to compete in the games of the Olympics and the games at Athens and the Isthmus of, of Greece. They would slender down and that was the extra bulk. That was the weight that they threw off so that they could run with the purpose of winning the prize. And he said, whatever it takes, that bulk, that sin that so easily ensnares, okay? We need to say, look, we lay it aside. And it's a strong word that means immediately and decisively to throw it away, to get rid of it, to throw it off. He said, we do that to run the race that God has set before us and to have nothing that stands between us doing our best from God. You see, we're not to be impeded by anything. There are no habits that keep us from running that race. There are, there are no pleasure that keeps us from running the race. There are no relationships, no possessions, nothing keeps us from running the race that God has set before us. And that, that race is literally our life for the kingdom of God. You see, uh, one preacher said it this way. He said, much of activity these days is nothing more than cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of a life not well lived. We're to live it well, but that means striving. That means running the race that is before us. So we run the race that God has given us. The second thing is, we run the race with our eyes set upon Jesus. We run the race with our eyes set upon Jesus. He says that in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, which is the seat of honor, the seat of power. Think of it. Here is this arena. Amphitheater, a stadium in our day, is filled with witnesses cheering us on to victory. I was never much of an athlete, but when I ran track and when I played football, here's what I knew. You didn't listen to the guys in the stands. You didn't look to the guys in the stands. You kept your prize in front of you. And what he's saying is the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's all these and then above all these, sitting high in the only box that's worthy, the throne room, is Jesus looking down upon us for our encouragement. And the race is to be run with our eyes on Him. Even though these others are there to encourage us. Even though we're glad that we know they won the victory. Even though we can hear them cheering, our eyes are to be fixed upon the prize. Which was the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that leads me to point A, very simply. We're to look to Jesus. Look means this. It means you don't look to the right or to the left. They told me that if you look to the right or the left, you slow down when you're running and you're going to lose. It didn't matter with me. I lost a bunch. But you understand that you're that much faster. You don't look to the right and be distracted. You don't look to the left and be distracted. You keep your eyes on the finish line. He says, look to Jesus. Okay? In other words, remember him. Remember what he endured, the discouragement, the difficulty. Remember his tender grace, his love, and it'll help you wherever you're at. And then we're to remember who Jesus is. He's the great giver. He's the great finisher of the faith. He is the originator, the completer of our faith. You realize when you read about it, Moses wrote of Christ, Abraham saw Christ's day, all 
things in Scripture point to Jesus. Okay? Keep your eyes on Him. I've shared this before. We did a little bit of farming in Kansas. I didn't mind ranching and doing the stuff with the cows. I did not like farming. Okay? The reason I didn't like it, it was in my nature to worry. You get up in the morning wondering if you're going to get enough rain for the crops to grow or too much rain to drown them or if the bugs are going to get in there before the field dries out and you can spray them. We can go on and on and on. Okay? Is there going to be a big enough crop to pay off the bills so you can live the next year on? I didn't like it. My dad loved it. Okay? But he did teach me one important lesson. Gary, you've got to plow straight rows. When you're 14 on a tractor and you're looking down a mile-wide long uh, field, it's hard when you're me to keep your attention where it's supposed to be. But I learned because he would spank me if the rows weren't straight. I couldn't understand why he was so hard. The only way for me to do it was to pick out a tree or something I could barely see at the end of that field and just put her along with that tractor. But, 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 and we'd go. And then when I had to go back and cultivate the field, cultivate the rows, if they weren't straight, it tore up the crop, and you lost part of your harvest. And then it dawned on me, it really is important to plow straight. And to look to Jesus as the author and finisher to run the race means that we run straight, that we don't look to the right or the left, that we depend on His Word and His Spirit, and we run the way we're supposed to run. And we need to do that. And we need to ask, have we been doing that? Have we set our eyes upon Jesus as our ultimate goal? The third thing, we run the race enduring like our Savior. He was the example. Enduring like our Savior. You see, that's what it says when it talks about this. In the last part of verse 2 and 3, it says that he's the finisher who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, then sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And he goes on, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, because you have not yet resisted, resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You see, we're to run the race that God's given us. We, we run the race with our eyes on Jesus, but we're to run the race... Enduring just like he did. You see, it said he looked forward to the joy before him. Now I want you to think about that. The joy before him when he came, knowing that he was going to die on a cold Roman cross. Knowing the beating, knowing the suffering, knowing what he had to put up with here on sinful sod. Yes, the joy of knowing that he was accomplishing the Father's will exactly. Some of you don't realize that God is using you to accomplish God's will. That's to be the joy that is set before you. That your life is counting for the kingdom of God. That folks are going to believe because of what you do and what you give. That there are going to be those in heaven that you might not even know because you gave and some foreign missionary used it through the cooperative program to reach a little boy or girl who would not have heard Jesus except for what you gave. It's the joy set before us, the accomplishing the victory of, of the cross and the resurrection, knowing Jesus knew that he was the first fruits. And there'd be other fruits coming that we would be heirs, joint heirs with him. And you see, we have to have that. And we have a home that awaits for us. 
We need to do God's will now. The second thing, point B, we realize, he realized the present suffering was temporary. You know, there are some days when I see all the suffering that goes on in this world, that I think, oh, Lord, please. And he has to remind me, this is temporary. Romans 8 says, he does not compare it to be worthy of the glory which shall be revealed in us against that day when Jesus comes. You see, when we see Jesus, all the suffering we may have endured will be, the Greek is, it's as light as a feather compared to the glory that's going to be ours. And we need to realize that. We need to understand that. The present suffering is temporary. Now, for us, temporary means something different than it often does for God. Okay, He said he'd be back soon. It's been 2,000 years, and it still hadn't been long. For us, it's long, but not for God. Okay, We need to understand that. And the suffering, suffering <coughs> is this. Don't let the, the world rob you of your joy, remembering that suffering is for a season, and then comes glory. The third thing, point C, he knew that sometimes resistance against sin, he knew that sometimes resistance against sin could lead to bloodshed, but it's worth it. It could lead to bloodshed, but it's worth it. He said, you haven't resisted this to, to bloodshed yet. He did. He resisted uh, the pull of the world. He resisted uh, the religious leaders. He resisted the peer pressure. He did the Father's will. They beat him. They scourged him. They plucked his beard out. They spat upon him. They, they put the crown of thorns on his head. They hung him on a cross. They stabbed him in the side to make sure he's really dead. He bled for sin. He said, most of us haven't done that, especially here in America. All across the world, our brethren suffer. Those Christians that we will meet one day that are the martyrs. You see, it's interesting to me that when he talks about a cloud of witnesses, there in that first verse, y'all look up here so I know you're still awake. That word is martyr. Okay? That means suffering, often death. That's the cloud of witnesses. They suffered. Some died. And that means we're still called on to run. You see, we're still called to run, to do what we're supposed to do. I like the story that's told of a farmer who captured some wild geese, and he began to feed them corn, and then he let them out, and they kept doing corn, kept doing corn. Now, he was getting ready for Christmas, you understand, what they do with geese at Christmas. But he kept some along to raise geese, and he said after about a year of giving them corn and letting them out in the barnyard, that the wild, other wild geese would pass over and honk. And they might flap their hands, but they were too concerned with the corn to ever fly again or leave the barnyard again. If we're not careful in living life the way Christ wanted to do, we need to get too concerned with life instead of the race that God wants us to run. And the world calls, and God's call is still there, and we're sort of divided. We can't be divided. We're called on to run. To run. Despite the circumstances. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What do you do with a sermon like this? Well, if you've been hurt, it's time to heal. If you've been tempted to quit running, it's time to recommit. If you're discouraged, it's time to take your burdens to Jesus and look to Him. To lay aside every weight and sin and just run the race 
that God has given you to run. Some need to come in rededication. Some might need to come to be saved tonight. Some might need to come join the church. But whatever you need to do, you need to do it to run. To run the race that God has given you. Father, let us do your will and only your will tonight. You be glorified in our midst. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.